I'd like to read to you from the last part of Acts chapter 7, which is a passage of the Bible that we returned to in October, the end of September, beginning of October, because as a church, we're working our way through the book of Acts, but we're not doing it all in one chunk. Because we're doing it slowly, we return to it for sections so that we can then move on to other sections of scripture and then return to it. This morning sees us finishing our current exploration of that book as we come to the end of chapter 7. I'd like to read to you from the New Revised Standard Version from verses 54 through to 60. Stephen, who is about to be martyred, has just challenged the leaders of Israel by reminding them that they had attacked the prophets of the Old Testament and all those that had come in God's name and that they had attacked Jesus also. Verse 54 says, When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. It's a Jewish idiom that means they were livid with anger. But filled with the Holy Spirit, Stephen gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he, that's Stephen, prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. I'd like to read you the same passage, but from a relatively new translation called the Passion Translation. When they heard these things, they were overtaken with violent rage, filling their souls. And they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, overtaken with great faith, was full of the Holy Spirit. He fixed his gaze into the heavenly realm and saw the glory and splendor of God. And Jesus, who stood at the right hand of God. Look, Stephen said, I can see the heavens opening and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God to welcome me home. His accusers covered their ears with their hands and screamed at the top of their lungs to drown out his voice. Then they pounced on him and threw him outside the city walls to stone him. His accusers, one by one, placed their outer garments at the feet of a young man named Saul of Tarsus. As they hurled stone after stone at him, Stephen prayed, Our Lord Jesus, accept my spirit into your presence. He crumpled to his knees and shouted in a loud voice, Our Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And then he died. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. Last Sunday in Burkina Faso, in Hantakura, 14 Christians were worshipping God when an Islamist 
group on motorbikes broke into the church and murdered them all. That country has seen a massive increase in violence against followers of Jesus in the last few years. In fact, right down the west coast of Africa, there, is more and more, uh, there are more and more reports of attacks on Christians whose only crime is that they are followers of Jesus. In the village of Beni in June in Burkina Faso, a group of Islamist extremists uh, broke into a, drove into a village and forced everybody to lie on the ground and then checked all their jewellery. And anybody that had a cross around their neck, they killed. At least 42 people have been killed in the region this year because they were Christians. As we enjoy our freedoms here this morning and we thank God for them, it is important to remember that there are others that don't enjoy freedom. And often they pay the ultimate price for that. Our passage is about the first man that paid the ultimate price for being a follower of Jesus. His name was Stephen. This morning I would ask you to pray for three Egyptians who are fighting for their lives after being stabbed this week. Huda and her two sons, Shenouda and Ishak, were seriously wounded in an attack outside their home in Minya in Upper Egypt. The local police declared that the attack was just a normal quarrel and are not pressing charges against the attacker. Ishak, one of the young boys who was stabbed, is 16. He's recovering from the attack. His mum and his brother and he were sitting on her doorstep when a Muslim neighbour passed by. He ordered them to move into the house, telling them Christians shouldn't be on the street. When they responded that they were not going to obey his order, he got angry. He ranted and he told them that he would kill these dog infidels. He went home, came back with a knife and started stabbing them. Shenouda was stabbed in the stomach and needed a partial removal of his intestines, while his brother Ishak required stitches on six different parts of his body. Huda, their mum, was treated for head wounds. Despite the attack being so serious and witnessed by a neighbour, the police did nothing. The man that did it had attacked a Christian teacher just a few months before with a machete. Violence against Christians is real, and it exists all around the world. Here in the United Kingdom, we have an all-party parliamentary group for international freedom of belief and religion, and I am delighted to say that my MP, Jim Shannon, is a member of it. He um, campaigns vigorously for religious freedom. But this morning, for a moment, I want you to reflect with me on the reality of that existence. And you might think this is far removed from me, but I want to ask you to think with me about the passage that we read and what Jesus promises to those who will suffer for him. And then I want to extrapolate that out a little bit to ask you to remember that God will stand with you also if you stand for him. Romans chapter 12, verses 15 to 18 tells us that we are to weep with those who weep and we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. 
One of the great challenges of being a local church is that we can become parochial. If we're not careful, we end up thinking that everything revolves around us. It strikes me that as a local congregation, as a community of followers of Jesus located in Dundonald, we have a biblical responsibility to remember Christians around the world. And particularly to pray for those that are feeling or facing persecution or attack. I'm not sure that we do that enough. And I think with God's grace, we can improve that. We can think about how we can take it more seriously. All through this year, we've been thinking about setting up a a prayer group for the persecuted church. That will begin in the new year. But I wonder how you would feel if you were faced with those attacks. If you were given an ultimatum, would your faith cause you to stand for Christ or would you run? All through the history of the church, there have been debates about what you do with those that run. Because some people run. They're petrified, they're worried, they're frightened. I might be wrong, but I don't think any of you, it is unlikely that any of you perhaps have had your life threatened for your Christian faith. You might have. It's happened to me once. I was involved in a situation that was very difficult. And I think it was one of the hardest and one of the most straightforward moments that I've ever experienced. I was taken to a a village where the Christians had been facing quite a lot of difficulty and attack. And when there, the army arrived, somebody had tipped them off that I was going to be present. And they made me kneel in the middle of a circle. And the leader of the group that had come um, made fun of me for about 20 minutes. And then he had his soldiers urinate on me. And then he put his gun to my head. And told me to deny Jesus. And I said no. And he pulled the trigger. And there was no bullet in the gun. And they all laughed. And left. I don't think I had worked out what I would do in a situation like that until I was in it. Because I'm not sure you can. But in the moment that Stephen faced his accusers, he was willing to die. I'm not sure that here in the United Kingdom we face that level of persecution. Will we? I don't know. But I I think the opposition that we face is an opposition of ridicule. It's an opposition that involves us being demoted or um, defamed or sidelined or marginalized or mocked or laughed at or told that we are primitive or naive or simplistic or bigoted or old-fashioned or prejudiced. It's not quite being stoned to death 
But there is in that moment still a decision that you and I have to make, I think. Will we stand for Christ or will we not? I pray when you, if you face that ridicule, if you face that critique, or if you face such an attack, that you will say, I will stand for him. I will put him first. What I know is that the Bible promises that we will face opposition for our faith. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount makes it clear in Matthew 5, verses 10 to 11. Be blessed when you are persecuted for my name's sake. I'm not talking about you losing your job because you do a bad job. I'm not talking about you having a hard time because you're a difficult person to live with. (laughs) That's not Christian persecution. That's somebody giving you a hard time because you're a pain. That's a different thing, don't you think? But I'm asking that you consider if you are a follower of Jesus, God's promise and God's grace and God's mercy demonstrated to Stephen. I have um, had the privilege of traveling quite extensively across the world. And I've met Syrian refugees who were living in boxes and Rwandan Christians who had lost everything and Cambodian and Vietnam believers, particularly Vietnamese believers, who will be imprisoned for the rest of their lives and North Korean Christians who love Jesus and will not pretend that they are not his followers. And they come from all the tribes and traditions of the church. And they are hated, not because they're Baptists or Pentecostals or Methodists or Anglicans or Elam. They're hated by their culture because they're Christians. Because they dare to suggest that the name of Jesus is more important to them than any other name. And every one of them has been an inspiration to me and helped me to remember that I can make a choice with my life to put Christ first. And even if that doesn't turn out as I would hope, he will honor me for honoring him. In this story, as Pastor Pip helped us understand last week, Stephen's fate was sealed when he began to challenge the exclusivity of the the Jewish leaders' understanding of their faith. When he had the courage to say, you have persecuted prophets, you have attacked those that have come in God's name before, and you have attacked this man, that was the moment at which they began to gnash their teeth at him, and their violence rose like a rage that was uncontrollable. Why? Because he was challenging their assumption of their moral and their spiritual superiority. How do we respond when people challenge us? I don't think there's anybody here this morning that would assume that the only way to get to heaven is by becoming a member of an Elam church. I hope not. We need to be careful, I think, not to um, end up sanctifying and baptizing all our preferences in Christian faith. But this morning on the second Sunday of Advent, 
As we stand between two comings, the coming of Christ as a baby and his promised return as the vindicated Messiah of the world, I invite you to reflect on not Christ's faithfulness to you only, but on your faithfulness to him. What would it take to have you stop following Jesus? What gifts or prizes or trinkets could be dangled in front of us that could make us walk away from him? Nothing could make Stephen do that, which is why he died. I pray that God gives me that kind of courage, don't you? Every day. I don't think we need it until we need it, but I pray that if you ever need it, God will give it to you. And you know, for some of you, I think, as your pastor, the courage that you need isn't to face people who are going to stone you to death. It's to go back home and face your husband that gives you nothing but a hard time for being a Christian. It's to face the ridicule of a society that laughs at you because you have certain views. It's to go into school or into university and have them say again, oh, here comes the Bible thumper. Are you going to, what are you going to do with your Bible this year? Hit me around the face with it. It's not quite on Stephen's scale, but you still need courage. It's, it's to make a decision to put Christ first in our businesses, in our finances, in our marriages, in our homes, in our parenting, in our professional choices, in what we do with our money and with our time. How we make sure that this Christmas we don't get caught up with all the other stuff, but instead allow Christ to be at the center of our thinking and our reflection. That's important, I think. But I do know this, that As it becomes clear that Stephen is going to die, verses 55 and 56 of Acts 7 show us that Jesus is watching. Stephen describes seeing him standing at the right hand of his father, a symbol of God's vindication of both Jesus standing at the right hand of the father and of Stephen for standing up for him. And Stephen gets to see it. He has this moment when he sees the Lord Jesus in glory looking down on him. What a powerful picture. And what a remarkable thing that God will stand with us. That he will stand for us. That he will hold us. That he sees us. I don't know whether 2019 has been a good year for you or a terrible year. For most of us, it's probably been both, right? Many of us will go into 2020 thinking, hope this is better. And what if it isn't? What if the promise that will hold us is not so much that the year ahead will be better, but that God will see? And that he'll hold us and sustain us and guide us and guard us no matter what. This morning as we reflect on God's faithfulness to Stephen and Stephen's faithfulness to God through the Lord Jesus. 
I want to remind you that God is faithful to you. He sees what you're facing. He knows the uncertainties and the trials around you. He knows the pinch points in our faith. He knows when you have had enough. One famous Christian leader once said, God will never give me more than I can bear or more than he can trust me with. I just wish he didn't trust me so much. The end of your capacity to endure may be much deeper than you realize. And you might be thinking, I can't take much more. In the grace of God, he can carry you. He promises to sustain you, to hold you and to strengthen you. And he sees and knows what you are facing. It's interesting to me that the Jewish leaders wouldn't listen to what Stephen was saying. We're told in verse 57 that they covered their ears and raised their voices so that they couldn't hear what was being said. I don't know if you've ever been involved in a conversation with somebody who's antagonistic to Christianity, but that's what it can feel like. You're trying to make a valid point. You're not trying to be aggressive. You're not trying to be manipulative. You're not trying to be dominant. You're just trying to tell the truth. And it's as if they're shouting back, no, 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 no. I'm not listening, I'm not listening. Maybe that's what people do. Rather than listen to the truth, they'll shout over the top of it. What we shouldn't do in response is shout back. We don't shout louder than they're shouting at us. We somehow learn to do what Stephen does here, and that is trust God. Allow his grace and mercy to be evidenced in our lives. Don't hear me saying by that that we shouldn't speak up. I'm engaged in the public square, and I'm engaged in speaking out on behalf of Jesus and the church very clearly and very intentionally. And there are times when we have to raise our voices as our nation makes decisions that take us further and further away from the gospel. I have a, a feeling that the next five or six years are going to be really tough for the church. And therefore, I think they're going to be tough for you. I pray I'm wrong. I pray that there's a revival that breaks out in Northern Ireland and that hundreds of thousands of people are brought to faith. I pray that darkness is pushed back. But if it isn't, if darkness continues to push in, we will have to make a decision again and again and again about who we will stand for. And rather than pretend that that might not happen and pray for something different and plan for something different, I want to pray for God to break in, but I, I want to encourage us to have the courage to stand for Christ. No matter what happens, no matter what is said, no matter what is thrown at us, no matter what accusations are flung toward us, let's stand for Christ. As we enter 2020, let's stand for Jesus. Some of you are doing it. I hear stories about you in your workplaces, in your businesses, in your wider careers. You are influencing in the world of sport and media and business and commerce and government 
and healthcare and education and research across Northern Ireland. There are people sitting in this room and you are shining for the Lord Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for your passion. Thank you for your commitment. Thank you for keeping going. Thank you for not giving up. But when that gets hard and when stuff gets more difficult, remember this, God is smiling upon you. God sees, God knows what you're facing. God stands with his people. That's the most powerful, life-transforming and encouraging reality. As far as I can read from this passage, and I might be wrong, I don't want to read into it, nobody stood with Stephen on earth. Everybody stood against him. The way their coats were laid at the feet of Saul, we are told very clearly, that, and the way it's written, that's an intentional thing. Saul is not simply a witness, he's a formal witness to a blasphemy trial. And as each, you can read about it in Leviticus, uh, chapter 17 and chapter 10, as each of these people bring their coats and lay them at the foot of Saul, it's recorded in verses 57 and 58 of Acts chapter 7, they are saying, I'm a witness against him. I'm a witness against him. I'm a witness against him. And as each of them take their stones, they become the judge, the jury, and the executioner of Stephen. And Saul stands as a formal representative saying, I see your coat and I see your participation in this attack and in this trial. Maybe I'm wrong, but there's nobody in the passage that is standing for Stephen on earth. Everybody there is against him. Do you know what that tells me, apart from anything else? The majority aren't always right. Just because everybody's telling us something about Christian living, even if it is everybody, it doesn't make it right. Just when it, because everybody has the same position on issues that the church has a clear stance on doesn't mean that they're right. God is always right. And it's him that we want to please. It's his voice that we want to hear and his smile that we want to see. As these men attack and kill Stephen, their religious observance is seen even in the way they do it. They may be far from God, but they're religiously observant. And what of Jesus' response, or Stephen's response in verses 59 and 60? He does two things, which mirror what Jesus does in Luke chapter 23. In Luke chapter 23, verse 34, Jesus asks that his father would forgive those that are attacking him. And in verse 46, he says, into your hands I commend my spirit. In Acts chapter 7, this first Christian martyr does exactly the same thing. I'm trusting my cause to you, Lord, and don't hold this against them. It can be hard to trust your cause to Christ. You can want to defend yourself. You can want to make the case. And as a result, you can carry your heart for the rest of your life. What 
We're not through with 2020 yet. Or 2019. (laughs) But I wonder what needs to be left in 2019. I wonder what mistakes we need to leave behind. Brothers and sisters, I love you. What hurts need to be left behind? What regrets? What grudges? Don't carry them into 2020 with your son, with your daughter, with your grandchildren, with your husband, with your wife, with your boss, with your friends. Don't carry any of that into 2020. One of the most powerful things that some of us would be able to do today is after the service, pick up a phone, send a text, knock a door, make a decision that you will mirror Jesus. Father, don't hold this against them. And I'm committing my cause to you. I'm committing my fight to you. I'm committing my defense to you. I'm committing myself to you. That's not where the story ends. That's not where I want to end as the band just come back to join me. I invite you to reflect for a moment with me, not on Stephen and not on God in this story in that sense, although of course God is the center of it, but on Saul. Our greatest enemies could become our greatest advocates. He is transformed after this. So much so that in one of his testimonies, in Acts chapter 22, verse 20, when he shares how he became a Christian, he talks about this as a powerful moment. This moment when he watches this Christian being killed, this follower of Jesus being killed, as a powerful moment in his own story. What if God can take how you respond in the situations that you find yourself in now and use them to transform a life? What if our reactions and our decisions can point people to Jesus, can help them understand that the unity of the church matters, that there's something important about telling the truth, about facing hurt, about being honest about pain, not brushing it under the carpet, but being honest about it. As you go into 2020 with me, I am looking forward to what God is going to do amongst us. But I pray that we will all be men and women who adopt the posture of Stephen. One of humility. One of trust. And one of grace. But above all of that, and you have no idea how much I mean this, I've witnessed it a few times in my Christian life as a pastor. Not every time, but sometimes. 
I pray that you will know the presence of Christ. His grace and his mercy at the center of your life when you face the most profound challenge. May you be given a vision of him smiling upon you and granting you peace.